passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. Well, as I said, I'm Chris Snyder. I'm the youth pastor here. And uh, one thing that, that I do sometimes throughout the week, I'm on YouTube. I'm watching for clips because when I'm giving talks to the junior hires and the high schoolers, they love video clips. That's kind of their thing. So that's part of my gig is I'm, I'm looking for something that's relevant. I'm not going to show you a clip this morning, but I did see a clip that I thought fit perfectly for this message. So I'm just going to tell you about it and I'll set it up. Um, the clip is of a wedding reception down in Florida, and they've got a professional wedding singer down there, and she's singing the song, the 1980s song, Living on a Prayer, and she's doing a good job with it, and the cameraman that's recording it, he kind of pans away from her and, and goes into the audience, and he scans the whole audience, and then as he's coming back, he stops on the very first table before the stage, and, and who is sitting at that very first table but this guy, John Bon Jovi, who... If you're younger than 30 years old, you might not know this, but he wrote and sang Living on a Prayer, kind of a big deal in the 80s, okay? You can Google that later, or ask your parents, or your grandparents, or your youth pastor, but, but that's John Bon Jovi is, is right there, and this lady's singing, and she's doing a pretty good job, but it's John Bon Jovi, and after a while, you know, the crowd starts like, kind of pushing him and clapping and encouraging him to come up, and he does, and he goes up, and he finishes like the last verse with her, and he does a great job, but the, the thing that made me think of this message is the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is, but he writes to a crowd of Jewish Christians, and what he's trying to tell them is, look, you had something that was good, the, the, the way things were, but there's something better. It's like you got this good wedding singer, but John Bon Jovi, and what he's getting at is he's like, guys, Jesus came, and let me tell you what a better way we have now, what a better person we have now. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, I'll just go ahead and, in your outline, you've got this, but in the book of Hebrews, the author goes through and he says, Jesus is better than the, the prophets, and he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses and Joshua. He's, he's better than the high priest. And this section I'm covering today, we're only looking at a few verses, but it really takes up about a third, almost a half of the book of Hebrews. This high priest thing, it's kind of a big deal. And then he goes on to finish and say, he's a better new covenant. He makes a better sacrifice. So that's the whole point is, look, there's something much, much better, much greater than is our theme. Um, if you would, turn to page 788 if you've got a pew Bible. Otherwise, you can turn there in your own Bible or on your iPhone Bible, whatever it is. But if you would go to the book of Hebrews, we're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5 this morning. I'm going to actually start in the middle and then back up a little bit. So we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. If you'd go there with me, I'll read it. I'd love it if you'd follow along. Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 4. Um, before I start this, can I just tell you, I, I, I have been to a Catholic church maybe five times or less in my life, so the idea of a priest is kind of something foreign to me. And this isn't talking about a Catholic priest anyway. This is talking about a Jewish priest or a high priest. And probably a lot of you haven't been to a lot of Jewish temples or tabernacles or synagogues, and, and you haven't done that. I've studied it, but I've never experienced it. But I love that right here in verses 1 through 4, the author kind of tells us four qualifications for being a high priest. So if you'll follow along with me, I'll just read those. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Okay, so he represents, or he's like a mediator between men and God. Now, 
this to me, and I'm going to give like an earthly job or position to these to, to kind of help it make sense to me and hopefully for us, but this is kind of like a, a, a spiritual lawyer, if you will. He represents us before God. Now, a lot of you know that I, I spent the last couple summers working at a barbecue truck. Okay, it was amazing. And, uh, you know, one day we had a customer come along, and it was a priest. Now, I don't know what church he was from, uh, but, but he was a priest. You could tell by his outfit. Okay, he had a little white thing here. Sure, it was a priest. And the priest gets his food, and then right after him was a lawyer from town. And I don't know who this lawyer was, but, but my boss did. And so, and this is not a joke. It sounds like a setup to a joke, right? A lawyer and a priest are grabbing lunch at a, at a barbecue place with a youth pastor serving them. Um, <clears throat> But the priest and, and the lawyer get their meal and they go sit down. And my boss, Paul, who's pretty quick-witted, he comes over to me and he knows I'm a Christian. He goes, well, I bet one of them did something wrong. Because <laughs> you got this priest and this lawyer. And, and that's, that's one of the things that the high priest did was he represented the people before God. Let's keep reading here. To offer gifts and sac- sacrifices for sins. And so um, this is where, you know, the people would bring their whatever animal it was for their sins to the, the temple or the tabernacle, and the priest would handle that and make the sacrifice for them. Now, I have personally, I want to make sure you hear me clearly, not been on this side of the, the law, but, but this is kind of the bail bondsman where when you're in trouble and you need to have the person come and bring the, the money to bail you out, uh, you've, got, you've got the responsibility here of, okay, you, you bring your thing, your money, you bring your sacrifice, and I'll do the work for you to get you out, or, or I'll take care of the offering or the, the sin offering for you. But that was the second thing that the, the high priest had to do was kind of this bail bondsman position. Third, and, and this is, to me personally, my favorite of the qualifications. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. He's sympathetic, he's gracious, he's kind, because he's been down that road is what it's saying. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. In other words, when the high priest would come, and especially on the Day of Atonement, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, before he took care of the people's business, he had to take care of his own business, and he had to make sacrifices for himself. Now, I think it's pretty cool that we have a high priest that has done all this, but never sinned, okay? What this is saying is the high priest has his own sin problems. Now, um, I, I think a lot of you know this, but before I came here, I was a counselor at Iowa Lakes, an educational counselor. Most of my job was helping students that had gotten themselves in some trouble. They're behind in some classes, or maybe they're like filling all the classes, okay? And I would deal with them. I had a little bit of low-level counseling, like boyfriend, girlfriend stuff, parent stuff, roommate stuff, but for the most part, it was academic. And in one of my drawers at the college, I had a file with one piece of paper in it, and that piece of paper was a transcript, and it was my transcript from when I went to Kirkwood Community College, okay? Now, do the math on this one. I got through a two-year school in just under six years, okay? Some of you are like, talk to my kid, right? Go. Uh, Here's what happened was I graduated from school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I felt like I was supposed to go to college because that's what everybody else was doing. And I just struggled. And I had a lot of C's and D's. I had, I had several F's and W's, which were withdrawals. There was a semester where I got halfway through it, and I just dropped. I took off. I, I dropped out because I couldn't keep going. I couldn't pass the classes. And so I held on to that transcript, and I kept it with me. Now, there was a point where I knew what I wanted to do. There was a, a specific semester where I realized I want to go into ministry. So I applied to a Bible school. But to get in, they weren't going to take me because my grades were junk. And so literally, there was a point where I had to say, okay, I'm going to give it my best now. And, and from that point on, I got all A's and one B in biology. And I still don't like biology. Biology teachers were cool. Biology, not a fan of, okay? 
but I just got my, my stuff together, okay? I pull that transcript out, and I show it to these students that are struggling. I go, I don't tell them it's me, but I just say, what's going on with this student here? And they look at it, and they go, wow, they were a terrible student. They were a terrible student. I go, yeah, they, they were. But something happened, they got it together. And I said, you know, I found out why I wanted to go to college, and it changed everything. I tell them it's mine. And a lot of times that helped them because they had to find their why. Why am I here? What am I doing? But the point I'm trying to make is, as a counselor, I got so far with students when they knew two things. One, I've been down this road. I get how you're doing. Number two, I care about you. Like, I care about you getting this back on track. And so what we've got with the high priest here is it was a spiritual counselor. And number four, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. In other words, what it's saying about the high priest is it's like they got to be drafted. Those of you that are into uh, fantasy football or that are following the NFL draft in a few months here, it wasn't something where you could just say, you know, I think I want to be the high priest when I grew up. You had to be born the right way from the right tribe, and you had to be called by God. Does that make sense, church? There were four qualifications. You had to be kind of a spiritual lawyer, a spiritual bill, bill bondsman, a spiritual uh, counselor, and then you kind of had to be spiritually drafted. I want to say before we move on, one thing I really like about this is the writer of Hebrews did not mudsling. He didn't try to lower or diminish the position of high priest. He was actually very respectful. You know, this next year, we're going to get a lot of those advertisements and phone calls where the person isn't talking about how good they are. They're just trying to tear everybody else down. That didn't happen here. The author of Hebrews said, look, the high priest has a lot going for him. We just got something better. So if you would, could you just flip back to Hebrews 4 now? And we're going to start. We're going to zoom out a little bit, and we're going to start in Hebrews 4.14. How Jesus is better. Hebrews 4.14. I'll read this to you, and this is in your outline. The high priest acted on behalf of men in relation to God. He was a very important man who could go into special parts of the tabernacle where no one else was allowed. So I think a lot of you know this. We're going to cover it in a couple weeks. But the high priest could go into parts of the, the, the tabernacle, like the Holy of Holies. And nobody else could ever go there. He could go there once a year. But he was a really good man who could go into special spots. But, but the contrast is this. Jesus was the Son of God, and he went straight into heaven. Straight in heaven. So instead of a good man, we have a God man. And instead of the holy of holies or this place on earth, he went right into heaven. Okay? Now the, the verse says this. The verse says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. There's that God man. Let us hold fast to our confession. And then the, the second point that this author makes is he says, look, the high priest could sympathize with people since he understood their struggles. But then he says in this verse we're about to look at, Jesus understands our struggles. He experienced temptation, trials, rough days, loss. Yet he didn't sin. And so we'll go ahead and keep reading into 15 and 16. We got that up there for you on the screen, I believe. And it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in 
the time of need. Now, I think there's two things I want to pull out of this that are really big deals. Number one is we have a God, we serve a God who shows emotion. He's not this stoic, distant, uh, far-removed God. He's personally close, he's intimate. Uh, I heard a few years ago the story of a missionary that was overseas, long-term missionary overseas in Asia. And in Asia, he was working with a tribe and in a village that was mostly Buddhist. And one of the years he was there, there was a major famine that came through. Now we're in Iowa, we're in the Midwest, and we know what it's like to have a bad crop year. But there's parts of the world where famine means death. It means no more food and people are dying. And that's what happened to this missionary. Uh, the, the tribe that he was working at, several families in that tribe lost family members. And it's usually children that died. They didn't have the food for it. And the missionary said, it was so bizarre to go to the funeral at the Buddhist temple and to see these parents and these family members grieving over this lost child and right there in the corner or right there at the point of uh, the idol was this this buddha which is this overweight smiling happy idol and the missionary just said i've never seen such a disconnection between what the people were experiencing and how in left field or right field how off the idol was can i just tell you that's not our God. Our God gets us. He bled. He wept. He walked a mile in our shoes. He gets us. So that's the first thing. The second thing, if I can be kind of candid with you that I'm really thankful for, is that we don't have to go through a priest anymore, okay? So in spite of the temptations, Jesus never sinned. And I'm just going to tell you, as a person, I'm glad I don't have to go through another pastor to deal with this. I'm glad I can go straight to God. And can I just tell you even more as a pastor— I'm really glad you don't got to go through me. And that's a lot of pressure. I, I, Paul, I got to deal with my problems, okay? I, I'm dealing with stuff. I'll tell you this, okay? If you're friends with us, this will make perfect sense because it's me. If you're not friends, you're going to be like, really? I'm telling you, okay? I'm real. Uh, a, couple, a, a little while ago, Bridget and I were heading out of town. And our oldest son, Ryan, uh, was going to stay behind and stay with the Nichols, stay with some friends. And the three youngest kids we had, you know, were shipping off to grandparents. But Ryan was going to go to the Nichols' house. And it was the morning when we were leaving, and I had to get Ryan to school, and then I was good. And there was just a few minutes before it was time to go, and I was wrapping up the dishes, and Ryan was just sitting at the dinner table doing nothing. I said, Ryan, would you mind helping me with the dishes? He said, sure, Dad. So he comes over, we finish the dishes up, and we finished. I remember the exact time. It was two minutes before we normally leave. And I said, all right, Ryan, why don't you go grab your coat? We'll get out of here. And he goes, well, Dad, i got to make lunch. I'm like, well, why don't you make lunch already? And he's like, well, I was helping you. <laughs> that's not what I wanted to hear. Like, that's totally off the hook. So I go, make your lunch. we got to get going. And so I leave, and I start getting stuff. I come back two minutes later. It's time to go. And I, I'm telling you, about half the fridge was on the counter. I mean, it was a sprawl. And I go, Ryan, what are you doing? And he goes, well, Dad, I have to make four lunches because it's four school days. And I'm just like, oh, Ryan. I go, I can't believe you didn't start this already. I go, just throw it in the sack and let's get out of here. I leave. I come back a couple minutes later, and he's made like zero progress. Now, I, I almost took a picture of this because I knew sometime it's going to be talked about from up here. I knew it. <laughs> he had gogurt, an apple, a string cheese, like, a, like it was a five-course meal. It was a five, and he's doing four of them. 
And I'm like, Ryan, I said to throw it in the sack. He's like, well, I'm putting it in the sack, Dad. And I'm like, no, and this is not my best wife. I meant like this. And I grabbed the bag, and I just go, boosh. And I pushed everything in the sack, and I said, take some out for lunch. Make the rest of the nickels tonight. Okay? So, so you're like, okay, Dad. So we get in the car, and guys, I live, I'm only like a mile and a half from the school. Like, I don't have that far to go to keep it under control. But it's a long mile and a half. And so we're, we're about to the courthouse, like half a mile away. And I'm just like upset. And I'm just like, Ryan, I just got to ask you, what were you thinking this morning? And he's like, I'm sorry, Dad. And I'm like, like I should just let it go, but I couldn't. I'm like, like why, why didn't you think to make your lunch? He's like, well, you asked me how about dishes. And that, again, not the right answer. And I'm like, look, you just got to do better. That's like my thing. You got to do better. Okay, Dad. And, and we pull up to the, the school. And again, it had been a rough half mile. And he goes, I'm sorry, Dad. Yeah, and I should have been like, I'm a jerk, but I didn't. I was like, well, thanks. I didn't even forgive the kid. <laughs> thanks. And he gets out, and this has never happened, but he gets out, and some random girl comes up and gives Ryan a high five. And then she gives him a sucker, and then he walks past her, and there's this big sign in front of the middle school that says, Happy World Kindness Day. <laughs> and I'm like... Seriously, God? That had to be today. So I, I, go to, I, go to, I go to work at the church, right? I'm in prayer at the church, and I feel terrible. So I call, and I get Ryan out of lunch, because that's how bad dads make up for stuff. Is, you know? I get him out of lunch, and I, I pick him up, and he gets in the car, and I go, Ryan, I just feel like that was a pretty bad morning, and, and one of us definitely owes the other one an apology. And I kind of just let that sit there for a second, see what he'd say. And he goes, yeah, Dad, you owe me an apology. And so I said, I said, Ryan, I'm so sorry. That was a jerk move. And, and we, we patched things up right there, you know. But my point in sharing that with you is we all got our own stuff. And so, like, I can't be this guy for your, your kids as, as their youth pastor, your grandkids, because I got my own stuff. But the good news is we got a high priest that totally gets us. But he didn't do that, okay? So he's sinless, and that's a really good thing. Now, let's— uh, Let's keep going here with this question of how is Jesus better? We looked, we started with Hebrews 5, 1 through 4. We, we backed up and we looked at a couple ways Jesus is better. Let's now go forward and we're going to go ahead and look at Hebrews 5, verse 5. Hebrews 5 and verse 5. I'll go ahead and read this to us. I uh, have it right here. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You're my son, today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We'll get to that guy in a little bit. Put that one on the back burner. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, we're going to keep going, and we'll put this up on the screen. When we look at verses 8 and 9, it says this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. I have that underlined. Through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. When we read that, and this is the thing where I'm teaching the, the students here. There's some verses that we come across that's like, that doesn't quite make sense, or that doesn't line up with other things. So I want to point out, when it says he learned obedience, that doesn't mean he was disobedient and he learned to be obedient. What it means is he was always, throughout history, throughout time, throughout the ages, from before creation, he was obedient within the Trinity. But do you understand, when he came to earth, 
as a person, as a man, and he experienced trials and temptations and beatings and the cross. Do you understand? It was not a theoretical obedience. It was an experiential, okay, God, we'll do your thing. And so when it says he learned obedience, it just means he experienced that in a way he had never experienced before. And then that second line that I've got underlined there, you see how it says being made perfect? If we go to the next slide, I've got a little bit of yellow in there. The context explains everything. So this is in the context of, you know, he became the source of eternal salvation. In other words, when he became perfect, it wasn't that he was imperfect before. It's kind of saying he finished the mission and he was an adequate sacrifice for what he needed to do. The New Living Translation says it this way. God qualified him as a perfect high priest. Does that make sense? So it's not that he became perfect, he wasn't before. It's that he was fully qualified to do the job the mission that he came here to do. So with that said, with that said, um, let's go to point C here. The high priest had to keep making sacrifices for the people's sins day after day and year after year. Jesus' sinless life and obedience through his death on the cross qualified him to be the perfect, complete, and final offering for sin, which is what we read in verses 8 and 9. He didn't have to keep doing it day after day, year after year. Now, there's a little bit of a clarification here. We'll put this up on the screen for you. Hebrews 9, the author says this. But when Christ came as the high priest of good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not a part of creation. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to say, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats or of calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus uh, obtaining eternal redemption. Do you understand what a big deal that is as far as saying, look, Christ is a better high priest because he did it once and he totally, totally took care of it. Now I'll take that limo slide if you got it. Now I'll take that. Uh, there's a story in Forbes back in the 1980s about a man that's happened in New York. Or, I'm sorry, it was in New Jersey. And he's driving along the highway out there. And he sees a limousine that's on the side of the road with a flat tire. And the man just pulls over and he's got time and he decides, I'm going to help out. So he gets out of his car. I tend to think of a truck because I always think the guys that help with, with flat tires are driving trucks. Probably from the Midwest too. But anyway, it's in New Jersey. He gets out of whatever his vehicle is and he goes back and he, he sees the limo driver who's in a nice suit struggling to change the tire. He goes, can, can I just help you with that? And the guy says, I would love that. Thank you. The man changes the tire for the, the limo. And as he's walking back to his vehicle, the back window goes down. And again, this, isn't a, this is true. In the limo was Donald Trump. Not President Donald Trump. At this point, he was the, the real estate mogul from New York, right? Kind of, kind of coming on the scene in the 80s. Donald Trump. And Donald Trump says to the guy, thank you so much. I'm on my way. It was actually a Christmas party he was on his way to. He goes, I'm on my way to a Christmas party, and I really appreciate your help. Is there anything I can do to say thank you? And the guy goes, no, I just do that to be nice. And Donald Trump says, I would love to thank you. Is there anything I can do? And the guy thinks for a second. He goes, you know what? My wife would get a kick out of getting flowers from Donald Trump. Would you send my wife flowers? She would tell all her friends about that. And knowing Donald Trump, that probably really blessed him. You know, yeah. Uh, Donald Trump says, of course I'll send her flowers. Give me, you know. So the guy gives 
Donald Trump or his chauffeur probably, his address and his wife's name. And a couple weeks later, according to this article, there's a knock on the door and the wife answers it. She didn't know anything was coming and it's the biggest bouquet of flowers she'd ever seen in her life. And there's a note and it says, a couple weeks ago, your husband helped me out. I just want to say thanks. And it was signed Donald Trump. And then it said, P.S., I just paid off your house. He paid their mortgage off. Not the monthly payment. He paid off. Trump was asked about this years later, and he confirmed that really happened. Now, can I tell you, we serve a high priest who took care of it all in one shot. There's not still like a monthly thing we got to do. No, we still sin, and we still mess up, and we still pray to God and want forgiveness for that. But as far as the cross, Christ took care of all that, one and done. I think when he said it is finished, you know what I think he meant? If you get a lexicon out and a Bible dictionary, and all, you know what I think he meant when he said it is finished? I think he meant it's finished. I think he meant he took care of it all that one time. All right, let's go down to point D, if we could, point D. And I'm going to go ahead and read for you the rest of our Hebrews verse here. I'm going to back up and read 9 one more time. So, Hebrews 5, 9 through 10. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now we're back to this Melchizedek guy. I want to give you a little bit of background on him, and then I want to explain to you why this is such a big deal. Melchizedek really only came up once in the Old Testament. He's also referred to once by David in a psalm. But Melchizedek, Melchizedek was the guy that um, when Abram, remember Abraham used to be Abram. And Abram had a nephew named Lot who kind of got caught up in a battle or a war and was taken away. And Abram put together an army and went and got his, his nephew Lot back. And when he's returning from that battle, he comes across this priest. It's actually a king, the king of Salem, who was also a priest of God Most High. This is in Genesis 14. It's the only time we see Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And you know, it, it just says he was, he was a, a priest and he was, he was a king. Now, there's a couple reasons this is really important. Number one, remember this was written to Jewish Christians, right? But the people reading this letter all along would have known there was a problem with Jesus being the high priest. And the problem is this. Remember Jesus had to be drafted. He had to be born in the right tribe. Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Jesus could not be a Levitical priest. He was born from the tribe of Judah. Another problem is, a high priest wasn't supposed to be a king. And the king wasn't supposed to do the jobs the high priest. Remember, that got, that got some people in problems in, in, in the Old Testament. So all of a sudden, you got this final qualification, and Jesus can't do it. What the author of Hebrews does is he actually goes back before Levi, he goes before Aaron even. And he says, look, before there was the Levitical priesthood, there was this guy named Melchizedek. He was a priest and a king. He was before Israel. He was before Abraham was Abraham. And he met with Abraham and he says, that's the line that Jesus is from. And that is the way Jesus is the greater high priest, but also he can be the king. I'll go ahead and read what we have here in our notes. The high priest was called by, by God, just as Aaron was. Jesus was called by God, but in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm going to read another scripture to you, and this kind of clarifies this. It's from Hebrews 7, verse 11. Just a couple chapters later, he says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, 
and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not from the order of Aaron? So the author is making this point that the Levitical priesthood is past. Now we have this great new high priest, and Jesus is his name. So with that said, I think what we've got here is, is a really sweet text where we've got four qualifiers for what it means to be a high priest. And then the author goes and he says, look, he didn't just meet that, he beat that. He exceeded it. He's far greater. And I'll tell you real quick, y'all are sitting out there, that's where I'm usually at. When I'm out there or when I'm teaching my students, I always think this way. So what? Like, I like history. Thanks for the history lesson. But what's this got to do with me today, tonight, tomorrow, at lunch? So what? Well, there's four huge so what's that come from what we just read. I'd like to walk you through that. This is the middle of your second sheet, just so you know. Number one, under application, Jesus gets you direct access to God. And oh, baby, do we kind of take that for granted sometimes? When you think about the fact that we don't have to go through that day of atonement service or what the Jewish people had to do, we can just talk to Jesus. We can just go straight to God. But our prayer life is lacking. Why is that? You know, when we first moved to town, Bridget and I, we got here in 2005. We got moved in, and one of the first things we did was we had the, the cable set up, okay? And I didn't know a lot of people in town at that time. We knew Joy and Jeremy Pritchard. And so here's what happened to me is I'd been on the phone for about half an hour with Mediacom. Mediacom had me talking to somebody down in Des Moines. They couldn't figure it out. They put me down to somebody in the Quad Cities down in Davenport. They couldn't figure it out. I thought, man, my next call is going to be like international. I got to get this call over with. So I got off the phone and I just called Joy. And I said, Joy, do we not have like a local media complex in town? Is there a place I can go to and just get this straightened out? And she goes, yeah, Chris, we have a media complex in town. And Bridget and I had moved in um, down kind of behind where Forbes is at. We lived on Center Lake Drive. And I go, Joy, can you, can you give me directions to get there? And Joy goes, sure, Chris, just go ahead and walk out your back door. And that was weird to me. Because nobody had ever underestimated me that much that I couldn't even get to the car, right? <laughs> you, usually directions start with, you know, take a left out of your driveway. She's, and I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll go with it. So I walk out my back door and Joy goes, there it is. I'm like, I didn't realize this, but do you know where Lakes Dermatology is? It used to be Dixon Chiropractic, I think. That's where Mediacom was at. We literally shared a lot line. Like I could walk out my backyard and I was on their property. But it's funny, I was going all over the state talking to people to try to get to that building. Jesus, cut that out. We can go straight to God. The second point of application. Jesus took care of our sin problem once and for all. That's done. That's huge. That's huge. Um, if you're visiting, and we're so glad you are, if you're here with the, for the kids program, please come back the next couple weeks. Uh, Pastor Kurt is going to lay, lay out what this whole business of our sin was taken care of means. It's huge. So come back for that. Number three, Jesus understands your pain. Um, this was probably five or six years ago. This was my hardest day, one of my hardest days in ministry. I could probably tell you of about five days in ministry, which were so hard. So, so hard. This was one of the hardest days in ministry. Um, the night before, I'd gotten a call that a lady from our church had died in a car accident. And suddenly, it was an accident. The car rolled, and she flew out. Um, she was in her late 20s, and she had two younger kids. One was in elementary school, and one was a sixth grader in our youth program. 
And I remember going over that night, the night before, and, and talking to the family, and it's, that is just a hard day. And the emotions, you have everything from laughter of remembering the person and talking about them, and, and you're just still coping. You're coping with the reality of what happened, and, and there's things where you're telling stories and laughing, and then like 10 seconds later, the truth hits you. That person's not coming back, and that was a tough night, but the next day was the hardest for me. I was asked to come and help with the funeral planning. So I'm on my way to the funeral home, and I'm just praying, and I'm like, God, I do not know what to say to this family. I mean, what do you say to the kids, the parents, the family members? There's scripture, but at that point, I think it, does it hit them? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I get there, and I say, hey, guys, I, I don't have a devotional prepared for you this morning, but this is what I want to share with you. I think God put this on my heart. I said, remember when Christ was on the cross and he asked John to take care of his mom? Our best guess is somewhere in Jesus' teen years, Joseph, Mary's husband, his stepdad, died. And so I'm talking to these kids and I'm like, I, I don't have a, a Band-Aid for you, a spiritual Band-Aid, but I'll tell you, our God experienced what you're experiencing. I would really encourage you to pray to him. And then I turned to the family members and I said, you know, we know this. Jesus had a cousin that was murdered. He had brothers that were killed for their uh, willingness to follow his message. And he knew that would happen. We serve and follow a God who's had family members taken at a young age. I want to encourage you to go to God. And then the parents. And for any of you in here that have lost a child, whether it's through miscarriage or stillbirth, as, as a young child or, or an adult child, for any of you in here that have lost a child, I, I have heard that is the toughest thing to go through and I had to turn to these parents who had just lost their daughter and I just said I just want you to know God the father actually knows how you feel he has lost a son and I want to encourage you to pray to him so my point here is we have a God that gets us we don't have a Buddha we have a God that gets us in working with teens one of the things I'm seeing more often than anything is just fear and anxiety are so big. So big. It's big in adults. Guys, we have a God that you can go to and pray to that gets it. I think that really separates out Christianity from every other religion. One last thing is this. Jesus also wants to be your king. I love that he's compared to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was a priest and a king. Um, I'm going to put a slide up here on the screen a lot of you know that I work with college students. I still help out with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, or it's called Laker Life over at the Iowa Lakes campus. But every Thursday, I help out with these college students. And Crew put this, this, uh, this image out. And it kind of looks at, on the far left circle, what life is like before you're a Christian. And the idea is, the circle is kind of like your world. It's your life. And the chair is the throne of your life. And the S represents you, yourself. And before you're a Christian, you really are sitting on the throne of your life. You, you, you are running things, and Christ isn't even a part of your life. Now what's supposed to happen when we become Christians is Christ enters into our life, he enters into our world, but he doesn't just enter in, he gets the throne. And we step down from the throne. That's how it's supposed to be. But what happens a lot, and again, working with college students, I see this all the time, is there's this idea that, hey, I kind of want Christ to come into my life and be my savior, and he can just kind of stay over there on the shelf 
and I'm still going to do my thing. But I want him as the Savior. He can be in my life, just not the king on the throne. Can I just tell you that does not work? I mean, let's go out to lunch, and I'll tell you how much that does not work. Trying to be your own king. Uh, I don't know if... I talk to God, I listen to God. I don't hear him out loud, but he definitely speaks to me in that still small voice. I was putting a map up in my office the other day. And if you go to my office, it's just on the left. It's one of those sticker maps. You know, you put the sticker on. And as I was putting it on, I did not realize how many little islands Canada has in northern Canada. There's a ton of them. We lost four islands, okay? I'm putting the map up, and four of them didn't come off onto the wall. And I'm laughing, and I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not God, because I can't even keep the, the islands on the map on my wall straight. This world would come apart so quick. And I, I honestly, I, I tell you this, it's as if God kind of chuckled back with me and said, yeah, yeah. And let me be the Lord of your life. Because it's easy when I say I can't run everything. I wouldn't make a good king of the globe but I still fight for that spot on the throne. Do you, maybe? I still fight for that spot. And through putting that mop up, God gave me that little reminder, Chris, I'm better at this than you are. I'm so much better. So as we close, I just want to challenge you to consider this idea. Let Christ be your high priest. If he's not, let him be your king. Let him be your king. He deserves that crown. He's better on the throne. I'll pray for us and we'll close in worship. Lord, thank you for today. We thank you for the series that we're in right now where we're looking at how much greater you are than all these other things. And Lord, we do. We confess that you're, you're better than Moses and, and Joshua, better than the angels and the prophets. Lord, you're better than the high priest. And, and I want to say, Lord, you're better than Chris Snyder. And for each of us, I hope that would be our prayer, that we trust you because you're God and we're not. Lord, as we wrap up this morning, I pray we would not simply sing, but that we would truly worship. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.